Joining us today on Radio Bypass is a man who gave us so many memorable songs <coughs> since the 80s and songs that I used to play on my radio show often. Great White founding member Mark Kendall is on the line. How are you, Mark? Hey, Ralph. Good to talk to you, man. Good to talk to you. Good. Doing well? Everybody healthy in your house? Yeah. Everybody's doing great. Excellent. Excellent. Practicing the social distancing, though, I assume. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're just taking instructions. Um, my my wife's been making masks from the local community. And uh, my daughter actually made a bunch of uh, greeting cards for the nursing homes, you know. Oh, cool. whether they're sick, or, Whether they're sick or not, she, just for, you know, keep the good vibes going. And uh, so, but everybody's uh, been fine. You know, nobody's been sick or anything. We're just, you know, following directions like everybody else. Right. Well, that's good. That's good. I like what your daughter's doing, though. That's pretty cool. Yeah, because we have these, uh, like, local nursing homes. And, you know, we have heard there's been some problems in nursing homes with the the virus uh, for whatever reason. I guess maybe some visitors might go there and don't know they have it and kind of spread it. It's pretty dangerous for, you know, people that are old, you know, and uh, so she just got the idea to make a bunch of greeting cards and just bring them for the patients, you know, whether they have COVID-19 or not, you know. Right. So, uh, you know, my my wife and I like to get involved, uh, you know, with things like that. But anyways, it's all good. That's awesome. Well, that gives you something in your uh, COVID-19 downtime, I suppose. Um, what's going on with the band? Uh, we did, you know, we're just chilling now. Um, you know, they rescheduled a few of the shows for uh, later in the year. Um, I've just been writing songs. Um, you know, we're kind of just writing on our own, sending each other back and forth ideas and, you know, usually when we get together, we're pretty old school. We, you know, when we're ready to do a record, we we all get together and jam in a room and, and kind of um, construct the songs, you know, put them all together and make sense out of everything. Right. Yeah. But uh, so that's the way we do it. We, you know, that's when the best things happen when we play together, you know. Oh, sure. Sure. Your energy feeds off each other and ideas. I don't, I just think yeah. ideas flow better that way. Sure. Well, what happens, I, I know, you know, I, I don't know how many people do records where they send each other their parts, like in the mail or whatever, or the email, their parts or whatever. But one thing that you miss with that is sometimes you'll have a visual, like maybe the drummer might do something and you kind of feel he's going to do it, especially if you've been playing together a long time, a lot of things happen that you haven't planned for, but you all feel it at the same time. And that comes from like being in the same band a long time and playing together. And you kind of, you you don't know when that's going to happen, but if you're, if you can't see each other and you're just doing everything behind a keyboard, 
you know, those things you're gonna that's gonna eliminate all that, right? All that human the human connection. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I do. So you guys are, you know, writing some parts, whatever. So do you have some plans to, to put out a new record at some point? Yeah. Or do you, do you yeah. Have, uh, you know, and there's no big rush, but um, we've been actually, so like I said, sending each other a 10 a.m. the idea stage now. Um, so, yeah, we, we'd like to get something out probably by the end of the year. We wanted to get it out early this year, and the shows just kept getting in the way. It was just too many shows. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, but I have a, a library of, of ideas, and uh, so, and so does everybody else, you know. So when we get together, we've, we've been doing this long enough to where, you know, we, we know how to uh, make, make our ideas grow up, if you will. Sure, sure. Yeah, I get that. And, and, when you write songs, you know, for yourself, like what's your inspiration for songwriting? Um, you know, believe it or not, it's when I know we have to record in like two months. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's, it's the pressure of that. And ideas just start coming to me. It, it's, it's really crazy. And I, I, I'm I'm like a zombie walking around with ideas in my head. You know, I'm kind of in that writing mode and like I'll have an acoustic guitar with me everywhere I go. Mm-hmm. You know, even if I watch TV, I'll be playing guitar kind of low. And if something pops out, I'll just put it on my phone. Right. And I used to, I haven't changed anything the way I write as far as like, I don't go into a room and go, okay, I'm going to write songs now. Because I always felt like that felt like work or something. Right. So I, I just, instead of doing it that way, I, I you know, kind of just doing other things while I'm doing it until something pops out that's obviously really good, that, that I'll put that idea on tape. I used to use micro cassettes, but these days you can do it on your phone. Sure. And it's, it's really quick, you know, and that way, cause sometimes like it'll be late at night and I'll have an idea and it has a certain rhythmical quality to it. So instead of waiting until the next day or, or do something like that, I do it right when I have the idea that way I, cause I might not forget it the next day, but it won't have that same rhythm. It's like, I won't be, it won't be vibrating at this certain place. And if I put it on tape then, right when I have it, then I can always get back to that. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I've lost a lot of ideas by being lazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that would probably be me too. Oh, man, this sounds great. Oh, do I feel like doing it right now? No, you know. <laughs> no, get up and forget the idea. Yeah, oh, terrible. Well, you're right that today it's so much easier with you know with your phone being able to throw it down real quick, no tape needed. You don't have yeah. to worry. Do I have any blank cassettes? You know, you don't have to worry about that now. Right, and I, I used to carry a micro cassette around with you know just a tiny little cassette player, and I used to carry that around with me when I was in writing mode. Like if I was driving and I had a rip, I would put it on the micro cassette. You know what I mean? Right. If I, you know, just kind of hum it, you know, 
And I, I've been pretty surprised that, you know, after writing songs for so many years, I can actually, you know, because I kind of hear orchestrations in my head. Mm -hmm. And it actually transfers to my guitar pretty good. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, God, if this turns out the way I'm hearing it in my head, yeah, this is going to be amazing. And in the old things, when I was just beginning to write songs and kind of, you know, uh, a novice, you know, not really, you know, learning my way around, trying to get better. Uh, I would, it was uh, more difficult to transfer what I had in my brain to the guitar. But, mm -hmm. but after doing it for so long, I'm, I'm kind of able to do it. And then, then when it's all finished and I'm listening to it in the studio back and just to think it came from that raw riff, it's it's really neat. I, I bet it is. I bet it is. Yeah, it is kind of yeah. cool. Seeing something, seeing, seeing your baby grow, kind of. Yeah, because um, our last album that we did with in Nashville with Michael Wagner, I had all those ideas on my phone, and I was sitting with my wife, and we're listening back, you know, to the album and. You know, I'm thrilled and, and, you know, we're pretty happy with the way it's sounding. And then I was, I was playing her all the ideas off my phone and going, like, can you believe that happened from this? It's, like, amazing. It, it, it's just fun, you know, to, to look at that. Yeah. And I, I think that's pretty cool that after all the years you've been creating music that that still strikes you that you still find that interesting yeah. and fun. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, e even like we'll be driving to the store and we'll come on the radio. I still get chills. I, yeah. I still can't believe it. I I'm, I'm like so blown away because the very first time it happened, um, we really didn't have a proper record deal. We just had a distribution deal mm -hmm. and we made it, we made an EP and flew, uh, Michael Wagner over here from Germany and um, our manager got us on the radio in like heavy rotation on the biggest station in Los Angeles called KMET and he brought a ghetto blaster to our rehearsal and put it out on the front lawn and goes I want you guys to come hear this you know at, the, at noon or whatever right. and so we all go out to listen we, we thought it was going to be an ad for a gig and all of a sudden, our song played over the radio. I about had a heart attack. And then when I found out it was it was going to be in heavy rotation, it was like, I, man, this is like I've never heard of anything like this before. <laughs> you know, a band with no record deals on heavy rotation on the biggest station in Los Angeles. Yeah, it's that's like what what universe are we living in here? You know what I mean? Yeah, that like Tom Petty, Tom Petty, and you know whoever. And then all of a sudden, we play really. It was crazy. That is, yeah, that is wild. That's that's pretty unheard of, really. It is. I I'd never heard of it before because we the, we had a station that was dedicated to local bands. It was called K West, and they had a show called Local Licks, and they would play the local band demos on the radio. Mm -hmm. But this was the actual, you know. KMET and KLOS are the two biggest stations in LA and they're playing our EP in heavy rotation with all the heavyweights, you know, like Tom Petty. And it was like, 
It really was. I, you know, I've lived in L.A. my whole life, and and I'd never heard of it before. You know, sure. And it really, really created a buzz. And then Rat came after that, and they made an EP. And you know, well, holy crap, what's going on now? We're getting this killer support from the radio. This, you know, we got a record deal because of that. That yeah, that's awesome. I, I don't think I ever heard that before about about Great White. I, I don't think I knew that. That was the early years, very beginning. That is wow. That is really cool. They must have. They must have uh, uh, really loved that song. What what song did they? What song was your first was, one on the radio? <laughs> it wasn't a ballad. <laughs> it was called "On Your Knees." Oh, I, I remember that it, song. It, it actually it actually made the uh, Tipper Gore "Filthy Fifteen or whatever. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, I remember her reading the lyrics. You know, oh, oh, on some. TV news show or something. She's going, and she wants to pull her to the floor and all this <laughs> stuff. You know, like like it was the worst thing in the world you could possibly do. You know, right? Oh God, oh, man. Was, we were we were thrilled when we were on the Filthy Fifteen. We thought it was the greatest thing ever. Oh so, sure. man, we really might get some attention now. That's right. <laughs> got, That's right. That was definitely. Go, go ahead. Al Gore's wife out there telling people how terrible we are, man. We might be somebody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, when that whole PMRC thing was happening, it was almost a badge of honor yeah. to be included in that list. <laughs> Total badge of honor. Total badge of honor. <laughs> you know, the only the only reason Dee Snyder got out there is because they wanted to, they were trying to kind of ban it. You know, they right. were uh, taking away, our, you know, our freedom. Uh, a freedom of speech, you know, that that's why he got involved. And we were like waving the flag right behind him because it, it, we didn't want to be banned. Sun, you know, not be able to, you know, we didn't want to have to make certain lyrics because, you know, she said so. Right. So, uh, you know, so uh, that was pretty, pretty brave and cool of Dee Snyder to go out there and, uh, you know, put his fist in the air and, going to courtrooms and stuff. Now, yeah. Because, now, I mean, people have been writing lyrics their whole life, and, and it, it hasn't always been, you know, Ravy G, you know. Sure. Just because it's rock, you know, I think they, you know, they're kind of biased. Yeah, I think so, too, because listen to some old blues songs lyrics, you know, so <laughs> I think the same thing. Oh, yeah. And Dee Snyder, yeah, he was so they made cool. The example, they, they made the example of that song, Bees do it. Let's do it together. Or whatever. I forget. I forget the exact lyric, but it's um because the the song was so um you know back to that to that that you know you do it we do it you know talking right. about having sex but they're using it through birds and bees you know what I mean yeah yeah <laughs> I d- so yeah. I do. It's not like we're just throwing down f bombs every other word. You know what I mean? It was just a tongue and cheek song. It's not not a big deal, right? Yeah, we're done out of love. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And while we're talking about you know some of your early days there, some of your early music, um, I was always curious when um, when I heard you guys do this song. I was like, because you did a great version of it, but also I was surprised you knew the band. 
you covered Face the Day from Angel City, which yeah. is now called the Angels. And that was one of right. my one of my favorite bands, but I didn't feel like right. a lot of people in our country really knew Angel City very much. So I was always so well, curious when you guys covered that, whose idea was that? Who was the Angel City fan? Well, um, our manager is actually from the UK and he worked for Virgin Records for five years. He was totally familiar with um with the Angels or Angel City, they had to change their name to the Angels for some some reason. Right. But anyway, so he was real familiar with them. They never broke in the States because people, the industry just wrote them up as an ACDC cover. But I, I always felt they were a lot deeper than that. They and, were. And kind of had their own vibe. And Doc Neeson was just a genius. And... Anyway, so, you know, uh, Alan tried to break them out here. Our manager, Alan Niven, um, brought them out here. They played a few shows in L.A. And I don't know, people just didn't gravitate. But um, he brought us the song. And, you know, we kind of made it our own. And um, so that that's how that happened. But uh, Alan was very close to the band. Actually wrote. He wrote with Doc Neeson. Oh, okay. So they wrote so they wrote songs together, and they they had uh, quite a few albums. And that guy was a real good lyricist, great singer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and and they were big in. in I guess where are they from? Australia. Australia. I know they're. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they're Australia. They're big, they're pretty big there. ACDC, of course, is you know much bigger, but. They, you know, they had a great fan base. I mean, they, they played for a lot of people. It's just somehow they didn't quite uh, get over in the U.S. Right. I mean, their records up to that point, you know, they were released here and everything, but which is how I heard them. Um, but, yeah, you're right. It just didn't strike a big chord here. And like I say, that's why when I suddenly heard Face the Day from your band, I was like, Oh my God, yeah. this is Angel City. Who else you know, knows about Angel we, City beside me? <laughs> yeah, it, it really fit with our kind of blues style we have. And, and so we really liked the song. We, we changed a little bit. I, I mean, as far as the lyrics, I mean, not the lyrics, but just some of the melodies were, uh, I, I don't know. We, we just didn't like it that much. But but it, it was still a great song. And the lyrical content, we really dug. So, mm -hmm. um you know, he write the guy wrote just brilliant lyrics now. Right. So, so we really dug the song and, and just did it and put it on our uh, record that we, uh, our second album that we released on our own with a small budget. And believe it or not, that song um, was the number two song of the year. Like, and I think it was like 1985 after we parted ways with EMI America, after our tour with Judas Priest, our very first album, um, we didn't sell that many records, like a hundred thousand or so. Mm -hmm. And they weren't, they didn't want to do the artist development thing. So, you know, we could have done a second record, but they, they wouldn't have put any marketing dollars into it. So we said, well, why don't we just part ways instead of wasting music? And so we had to go, a whole year without a record deal and then um 
lucky for us that that song went to number two on KLOS, another really big station in LA. Right. Uh, for the year, for the year, it was number two song. So that was enough to get the attention of Capitol Records, and we signed with them. Interesting. I didn't know that's how yeah. that came to be. So that so that song, thanks to KLOS, led to Capitol yeah. being interested. Yeah, exactly. Had, had it you know not been for KLOS, um, you know, Pete might have taken us a different direction. Who knows? Wow. So you know they were real real supportive. Um, we you know we're, we're really thrilled about that, and uh, to get a second chance and you know, go in and make records. And we basically, we borrowed 15,000 from a guy named Fred. So we were basically on Fred records before we got <laughs> the capital deal. <laughs> before we got the capital deal. You know, so uh, that was pretty cool. Cause then we, we could literally not have to make a demo record. Well, we actually did because, you know, you can figure we did that on our own. So, Capital put their name on the record we put out on our own, but um, we didn't play. I think we only did four shows, and they go, get in the studio and make a new album. And that's when we came with Rock Me and, you know, and all that. So right. we we made a solid record for them. And, uh, yeah, so it, that was some some good years with uh, Capital. Yeah. Yeah, now... Uh, recently, too, from Capital Years, uh, the Twice Shy record didn't it just have a thirty-first birthday a couple of weeks back, two three weeks ago? Yeah, and not only that, a couple of years back, uh, a greatest one of our greatest hits from them went gold. So that was pretty cool. Oh, well, yeah, that is pretty <laughs> cool. You know, and, I mean, considering people don't really buy music much anymore to for, to have an album of ours, you know. Uh, greatest hits, Coco. That's pretty sweet. Uh, I was kind of shocked, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I guess I would be too. In, in fact, when you say that, it struck me when you mentioned the first record doing a hundred thousand units, and that wasn't enough. And and that was yeah. so true back then. But I. Th- but now a hundred thousand units would be a huge success. Oh, absolutely! Because nobody's buying music, and, and there's no record stores. Right. There was just more. There was more venues back then with the record stores, and you know, sure, it, it, it was just people. It, it was more eventful. You know, I remember when I used to buy albums, it was like a whole day of just beauty. You know, I just loved going to record stores and looking through. You know, and, get, and picking up a couple of records. Oh, me too. Know. It, it just yeah, these days it's just a it's a different world. You know, the world's changed. You know, mm. so yeah, to have a record go gold is just like phenomenal. But uh, you know, it, it's from our catalog. I mean, it sells. Yeah. Um, you know, we're we're like classic rock. We're not quite oldies yet. <laughs> right. It's yeah, probably it's coming classic, before we know it. But. <laughs> oh yeah! Oh yeah! Definitely. Which 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 record of yours sold the most in the day? Was it Once Bitten or was it Twice Shy? I'm assuming Twice Shy was probably your biggest well, seller. Our whole, our whole career, we've sold about 11 million records, so we've never had one just you know sell 20 million. You know, mm-hmm. it's always been oh this one will sell a million, this one will sell you know a million and a half. I think uh, Twice Shy probably sold more than the 
the previous the one with rock me went bitten. Right. So uh, I think it was about two, 2.8 million maybe or something like that. Gotcha. It's probably three by now, probably three by now. So yeah, all, all together he sold about 11 million, which, you know, I mean, compared to a lot of our peers, it's like, you know, it, it's a drop in the bucket, but we're, we're kind of thrilled because, uh, to not go out and just, you know, put out an album and sell like 30 million and then everything that follows, <laughs> you know, not even close. I'd rather just do a million every time, you know, and have a lengthier career. Right. Nothing wrong with consistency. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm not greedy. <laughs> I've a million, you know, it's all good. <laughs> and it's obviously sustained you because... To the, to the present day, you're still out there playing live gigs, so you're getting the shows. The audiences are still there for you, so it works. Yeah. It, it's pretty amazing, um, you know, how powerful a song can be and be part of people's lives because I am the biggest fan. You, you can't believe what a huge fan I am. And, and I have so many songs that, you know, take me back to certain places in my life when I hear them. And, and you know... For our stuff to be a part of, you know, our fans' lives, you know, whether they were in high school when this song came out, or I, I hear story after story, and it's it's pretty, uh, it's I'm pretty grateful, you know, to be a part of all that. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Is there any one song of yours that you enjoy playing the most still to this day? You know, I mean. Well, it, it's a different audience every night. So, I mean, we, it's more of the jams I, I like. Um, but yeah, I like playing like Rock Me. And, you know, I never get tired of it. it it's, uh, you know, because you're playing it for different people every night, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and and I, I have great memories of, of moments in time uh, of the certain songs we play. So I, I never get tired of it because um, of those memories, you know, right. like uh, I remember when we got the, the platinum records at the forum, you know, where the Lakers play Lakers are my heroes. And we were actually on the stage and they handed us all our platinum records. And, you know, I have people like in the front row that I was in seventh grade with, you know, right. I, I mean, you know, when you have those kind of memories, you know, you're never going to say, oh, God, we got to play this song again, <laughs> you know. Oh, but sure. uh, I, like a song like Rock Me, I just remember hearing it back in the studio because you never know if something's going to be a hit or whatever. But right. I just remember hearing hearing certain songs back and going, man, God, that sounds pretty good, you know. Uh, like, you know, you, know, you, you hope it, it's going to do good, but. It's really a frustrating situation when you do a record because you have to wait about four months before you find out if you're dead or not. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? It's like when you play when you play live, you don't have to wait. They let you know like right the second you're done with the song if it was good or not. You know what I mean? Right. But no, we got to wait four months to find out if our career's over or not. <laughs> it's not a great place to be. <laughs> but, you know, so I'm like, the, 
you know, Mr. Desperado, I'm going around to my friends. Is it good? Is it good here? And I'm playing it for everybody. You know what I mean? Sure. During, during that waiting period. It's funny, but I get it though. Yeah. It makes sense. Sure. And for you pl- um, playing guitar, um, what, you know, in today's world, you know, you, everybody used to carry a ton of amps and everything or, or, or set up a back line yeah. wherever they were playing. And now, of course, you can do everything in a small little box. Are you still an amp guy or do you like this modern way of doing things with guitar? Well, live, um, you know, we, we still have all the amps and everything. And I still use the same amount of cabinets, but I, I have been using this uh, thing called a camper, mm-hmm. which it, it's a profiler and it's not like Ant Farm. I mean, the guy that designed this, what, what it is, is like I can use like a 1959, you know, Marshall, a certain Marshall or whatever. And they, they, the guy that invented this, this Kemper profiler actually profiles the sound exactly to where the human ear can't even detect the difference between the real amp and the profile. Mm -hmm. And the reason I like to use it live is because I can use different amps, um, you know, at the flick of a switch live and really get it super close to the sound I had on the record. And so the techno, I hadn't even heard of it, but when I, in 2017, when we did our, our last album with Michael Wagner, he asked me to try it. And I'm like, what is this thing? You know, like amp farm. And right. And I remember, and I, and he goes, well, just try it, you know? And so I, I plug in, and I like hit three chords and I go, Oh my God, I sound like Angus Young. What else you got in this thing? <laughs> you know, I can't, I couldn't believe how good it sounded. And, and uh, he goes, well, I got 4,000 amps in it. And I go, what? You know, so wow. it, it, it was crazy cool. And it's so easy to use. Um, and it's consistent because you, what you do is you go direct to the house you know, with it. Mm-hmm. And he also my, puts a mic on my amp mics on my amps to where he can use the mic and the direct. Right. So the sound men love it because it's so consistent from night to night instead of like your amp might sound a little different in this room, a little different, you know, right. Uh, for whatever reason, or if you're in a situation where you're doing fly dates, and you order your gear in advance, you know, we are always would order the same, the same amps and the same amp heads and drums and everything, but you don't know how old the tubes are in this thing. Sure. It's going to sound a little different than the last one to where this thing, I can carry it and bring it and it's always exact. So it's pretty sweet. And, and, and I've, I've really dialed it in. I mean, it's so, the thing just sounds amazing. It's just excellent for live. I still use amps in the studio. I use that and, um, you know, I I do different things in the studio, but, but for live and actually recording it, it's just, it's just, you can't beat it. 
Camper. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, that answers my question. You are a fan of this new technology. Yeah. Well, well I wasn't in the past because it, it, it wasn't as good as, but they, they've matched the sound waves perfect and, and then it's just so advanced right. that it, it, it's, you know, worthy of being used. In the past, when they had the amp farm, kind of sounded buzzy. It wasn't as good as a real amp. So then I, I wasn't a fan. But these days, I don't know, this German guy just... And, and here's the funny thing. Engineers in studio recording studios wanted to hate it because it, it it's such a quick setup. You know, they like to tinker around and, right. you know, Mike placement. And yeah. Yeah. There goes, like, yeah, there goes all my, my studio time money. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so, it, because like I said, it's such a quick setup. You just plug it in and go. It, it, it's, um, you hook it up to the channel and, and you're ready. You know, you don't have to check the app and, you know, and if, if you use only no. that without an amp, then you've got to send that back to like headphones or something though. So you can hear what, what you're playing. Right. Is that how that works? No, no, because, um, Oh, you mean in the studio? Yes. Well, yeah, we use head, we use headphones anyways, even with amps. Gotcha. So I'm playing, I'm playing through cabinets that are mic. Okay. But, uh, but I'm also, I'm also direct as well. So you have both. both so of, even in the you know, studio, so you're, you're, you got a channel for yeah. each. I, I see. Yeah, because, you know, I like the air pushing out of a speaker, you know, make it real. And, you know, but it, it uh, the cabinets are also profiled. So you could get certain speakers. You know, these, these are real profiles. They actually recorded these sounds i mean i don't know technically how they did it but right it's but every engineer it was like 99.999 percent you couldn't tell the difference they would a and b the actual amp to the profile and could not tell i mean there was no difference at all i mean that's Amazing. how crazy it is yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It really is amazing. <laughs> and when yeah. I started seeing these yeah. things too, I was thinking back in the, you know, the old days with the big tours, you know, how much gear you have to carry, you know, because back in those days, there wasn't as much rental like there is now with these fly dates and everything right. or having a back line waiting for you, you'd bring your stuff with you. And I was thinking, man, if these things work really well, that sure does cut down the cost of doing those kind of, of, of shows, you know. Um, yeah, but we still have but, all the gear. We 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 still use the cabinets and everything. This is just the the head that powers the cabinets. It's it's a different uh, situation. Well, yeah, no, that's what you just I, taught so me. I have a six hundred. I, I have a six hundred watt power amp with this thing. So I, I have you know, so the power is still coming out the stage, but. Um, and we still have all the cabinets and everything, but it's just, you know, in other words, I don't go up there like steely down to my amps in my back pocket or something. <laughs> right. And and that's so, kind of what I think yeah. I was envisioning that maybe these things, you know, do do that, you know, replace that. But, but, um, 
yeah, that's why I just I've been kind of fascinated the last couple of years as I've been learning about these devices. Wow. Yeah, me too. Me too. I'm learning too. I'm not, never known to be uh, a big technical person, anyways. Right. I'm just like, where do I plug in? I remember I played on Glenn Hughes' album, and you know, Mick Mars and a few other guitar players played on it, mm-hmm. and. Nick Mars actually came there with a truck loading marshals into the studio. And, you know, I show up, I don't even have an amp and I'm going, don't you, you guys got an amp here anywhere or anything? <laughs> and there was a, there was an Ampeg. It was like an Ampeg, you know, little combo amp. I go, does that thing work? And they, I think so. And so I turn it on, I plug in, gang, did a couple chords. And I, I finished my track in like 20 minutes. And Glenn Hughes is like, okay, you just set the bar. This is the way we're going to do guitars. <laughs> you know? So, I, you know, because, I mean, so many years, you know, um, fans and, you know, the up-and-coming guitar players, they're all like, what did you use on that certain song? Well, you know, I, I don't really remember. Maybe it was a Marshall, maybe whatever. But what they don't realize it's, it's not, I sound the same, no matter what I play through, it it still sounds, you know, like the way I play, it's not that much different from amp to amp. It it really comes from the hands. Right. You you know, it's not so much. If you get the exact gear I have, you're still going to sound like you, you know what I mean? Right. like if if I played through Eddie Van Halen's gear, I wouldn't sound like him, <laughs> you know. Right. I, it would sound like me playing through Eddie Van Halen's gear. So it, it's not so much the stuff because I I played through that combo amp on Glenn Hughes' album. Mm-hmm. It sounded like everything else I've ever done, you know. So it, it, it was no different than anything else uh, sonically that I've ever played, you know. It is interesting, though, to think about because, you know, when you think of, of, of tone, you know, how crunchy somebody is or how clean or whatever, you know, you usually do kind of yeah. credit the equipment, not so much the hands when it comes sure. to that. The overall sound, you know, the hands definitely, but I would think a, a different amp would maybe alter a little bit your tone, but it sounds like that's not the yeah. case. Well, it does, but, but uh, I'm kind of what they call a roll-off player. Like literally, if I get if I want a clean sound, I do it with the volume on my guitar. Mm-hmm. So it's a feel thing. You, you know what I mean? Right. So and I and my hands, like maybe I won't use the pick. I'll use my fingers on a clean thing or something like that. You know what I mean? So a lot happens with your hands. Right. Right. Well, yeah, I, and I do realize that for sure. That overall, that's why I notice differences player to player. But yeah, it's yeah. just it's always interesting. The guitar is an interesting the instrument. Amp, the amps also make a big difference, like you said. Like Tom Petty, you know, uh, uh, their guitar sounds are different, less distorted. They use like twin reverbs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it, it it might be that in that regard, of course, it's different. Right. And you mentioned working. But I use real musical. I use musical pickups. I was really low output to where when I turn down, it's like an acoustic guitar. And when when I crank it, it, it you know what I mean? I don't have a ton of pedals. I, I have, you know, the minimum. Mm-hmm. 
So you said your out your pickups are low output. Is that what you said? Yeah, but because um, I've always strived to try to get the notes as loud as I could without losing my my gain. You know the the gain structure of uh, my sound of my sound. Mm-hmm. You know, but I never want. I, I was trying to get away from having the distortion louder than the notes themselves. Right. And so I kept going lower and lower with the output of the pickup. Because if you got distortion, if you got these super hot pickups, it's almost like you have distortion coming from the guitar. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I can always, I can borrow a distortion pedal from my neighbor and get more distortion. I mean, you can get more distortion, but it's hard to get more note you know, more note value. Mm-hmm. And because I want people to hear what the heck I'm doing. I don't want it to be all buried around a bunch of, you know, distortion. So, right. but if I roll off the distortion, then I, it's too clean. I lose my sound. So I found that the lower output I went on my, on my pickups, what I, which is about 8.5 K I think I use now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it's, uh, really musical so the notes speak through the the game structures you know the the distortion it's pretty cool it is pretty cool that i actually had to find that you know i mean over when you play so many years you know you're all (laughs) still trying to get better (laughs) so that's what i was just gonna say it sounds like that's probably been you you're probably always striving for and, and practicing and what sounds best. It sounds like you're that kind of person. Yeah, you are. I, I mean, you know, most guitar players are like that, you know? Yeah. Mo- we can most always get better, you know? Right. We can always improve our sound and, and you know, um, but you, you learn that from trial and error and, and just trying new things and, and you know, what kind yeah. of what what's what kind of guitars do you like to play? Do you have a particular one that is your favorite? Yeah. Um, well, lately, for the past maybe four years, I've been playing these custom guitars by uh, they're called RH Custom by a guy called Rick Harrison. Mm-hmm. And actually, this guy he he's a really good guitar player. He, he plays in like this almost like a Crosby, Stills and Nash kind of group, you know. Mm-hmm. And he's a pretty gifted guitar player. Well, he's really good with wood. And years ago, he made pool cues for professional pool players. Oh, wow. But he's a guitar player. So uh, one day, he just built this guitar for himself. And he goes, man, this is like really, I'm pretty good at this too, you know? So uh, anyways, I got together with him. We had four meetings. And I just went over everything that I like in a guitar with the wood, you know, just every detail. Mm-hmm. Because I, what I was telling him is that I go, I've always settled my whole life, you know, at least not with like Fender or something like that, but with guitar companies. Uh-huh. I've always, you know, I'll get a guitar and I'll really love it. I love, like, here's what I would say. I love everything except this one thing. You know, right. it was always like one thing that I would deal with and it was fine, but I, I wasn't like in love. And, and, uh, so, uh, we went over everything and he made me like the perfect guitar. 
and and if I had to describe it, it's kind of like um, a Telecaster meets a Strat. Um, and the reason I say that is because the Strat is very musical, but this has a little bit more wood, so it has a a tele a tele character to it. Mm-hmm. So it's somewhere in between both, but a very musical guitar, and uh, just plays killer. And um, so I, I've been using that, you know, he's not, he's not famous. He, he makes one of a kind. So it's not like some company that's chasing after me and they want to make, you know, a hundred signature guitars and make a bunch of money from me. Right. It, it, it was a scene where this guy, if somebody comes to him, he'll go, okay, he'll have meetings with them and say, well, what do you like in a guitar? And he'll make something for them. So he's kind of just in it for the art right? more than, um, you know, duplicating a million guitars and trying to make a bunch of money. He, he, uh, he's, he's really into like, you know, the craft and he, he's proud, you know, like yeah. he works hard on his craft. And how long does it take to get a guitar like that custom made? It must be, take him a while, right? Yeah, it took it took me about three months to get it after those meetings. He right. brought over about twenty guitars for me to check out, so I could kind of say, "Well, I like I like this about this one, and I like this about that one." Mm-hmm. But we went over all the wood, you know, the alder, and I I used salted maple on the front, you know, bird's eye neck and. A maple neck, I'm sorry, and uh, the headstock was this zebra wood. You know? That's so cool. The, the wood is, is so um, it's so important, it, you know, the way a guitar resonates and everything. I can almost tell, like, I did a tour of Fender about three years ago, mm-hmm. and when I play a guitar, even without the amp, I can almost tell if it's going to sound good. Really? Just the way it sounds acoustically. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. When you play a bunch of guitars, you you start to... Uh, Develop a you, well-tuned you ear, get I guess. Feel. Yeah. You start to get an ear for, for it, you know. Right. If it sounds really de- kind of dead, um, you know, you're probably going to get that even with the amp. I, I don't know. It, it's a strange thing. That's but a, I was really shocked about one thing is Fender. Everybody that winds the pickups, you know, uh, pickups are wound. Right. You know, and it's very small. And, and you know, I don't know if you need tiny hands, but it's, a, it's quite the process. Everybody that did that at Fender was... An old, uh, old, older lady. Really, all women. It looked like people sewing. You know, it right. looked like a sewing factory. And one woman became so famous, named Adele, who did Clapton's pickups, Keith Richards. You know, all these massive guitar players. Right, Jeff Beck. You know, when the Stones came through. They picked her up in a limo and took her to the gig. No way. Wow. <laughs> yeah. 
And she, all she did was wind the pickup. But, you know, I guess she became really good at it. And, uh, the queen know, of it, so, it sounds like. The queen, yeah. They have posters of her at, in the building and stuff. She was, she's retired now, but she was uh, such a big deal because of the pickup she did for the, the artists were some, you know, icons, you know, they're just huge. And do you think, you know, so I, I kind of learned a lot by, by watching because, uh, you know, why you pay more for a certain guitar as opposed to one that just flies off the assembly line, you know, mm-hmm. the ones you pay for are, are real custom and, and looked after more, you know, and, um, get more individual attention. Right. Right. Know? So, so when you you're, you're paying for uh, the quality, sure, and, and that time, that extra time that it takes to produce that that instrument, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's pretty pretty crazy. They were doing these relic guitars, which what they do is, like, say I have a guitar that's like you know a 1971 Firebird, and I want to make a duplicate of it maybe because I don't, it, it's so important to me that I don't want to take it on the road, but can you match it? They'll match the cigarette burn on the headstock, <laughs> you know, right. the, all the, they'll make the dings almost exact. They, they get keys like just, you know, keys like for your, you know, just keys and they, and they mark it up with that, you know, Mm-hmm. They, they try to match every ding and and all, all the wear marks. You know, they have a way of doing that on the neck. The, and you'll literally put your guitar. I, I saw an Inge Malmsteen guitar, and he, they had his actual guitar there with the ma- the matching one that they right. the relic they call. Uh-huh. And the, it, they looked exact. I mean, it was like crazy how it's how amazing that you know. They spend on that, yeah. Wow, that's that's pretty cool, actually. Pretty neat, yeah. Pretty neat. And, you know, you mentioned that, that lady with with winding the the pickups and and how the guitar players of the day appreciated that. You know, yeah. What do you think today? Like, you know, when we were growing up, guitar, 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 it was very exciting. All the different guitar companies, you know, whether you were a Gibson yeah. guy or a Fender guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Today's music that young people make, it's not very guitar-driven, a lot of it. Do you think that that right. kind of love and respect for luthiers and people like the lady we were speaking of, do you think that's kind of gone away, the excitement of the guitar? For well, you don't, yeah, you don't need to play guitar now. They got machines that do that. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, you know, music has really changed a lot. Um you know, you're probably not like with all this kind of compare it where I come from is from a crummy little band in a garage mm-hmm. that, you know, my parent, my parents used to say, please tone it down. That's the way they used to say it. Like we're always playing too loud. Right. Um, and we were terrible and then we got better it, now, you know, with the machine music, you know, and they, they grab guys that are already good and put them together 
or, you know, it just, you know, they have, they literally have auto tune live to where singers, they're singing into something that's grabbing their off notes in real time and changing the note if they're off a little. Right. Which I am not a fan of. So, so it seems as though they're sucking all the human element out of music. Right. Which is the, which is the imperfection. The imperfection is what makes a band sound the way it does. It's the reason, you know, the Eagles sound like the Eagles or, Patty sounds like Patty. It, it's it's not a machine that that sits there and corrects everything. Right. And I and we and I told you earlier we are old school, so we don't change anything. Mm-hmm. And the way we we don't look at computers and because something on the computer, like a bass note, is off from the kick drum on the computer, we don't move the bass note. We, we listen to it with our ears. And if it sounds good, it is good. Right. You know, we're, we're not going to, we're not going to turn it into a machine. If we're listening to it and it sounds good, it's just good. I mean, why change something on a computer to make it perfect? It, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Right. And I think that's the difference in today. Everything's like so perfect it makes it sound like a robot. It, yeah, it, it's, it's very it's sterile. Not, it's not, it takes the human element out of it, which is the character of a band of a group of people that make music. Mm-hmm. It sounds the way it does because of all their influences, you know, when Billy Joel's group plays together, they all come from different, you know, walks of life. And when they right. play, it makes a sound. It doesn't make a sound because they're playing through some machine, you know, that corrects their notes and does all this, you know. I don't know. I I just think if you're listening to a singer, and I have a pretty good ear, I can hear when there's an off note, you know. Mm -hmm. And you just tell them to sing it again. You don't say, oh, don't worry about it. I'll fix it, you know, with the the auto-tune later. Right. Just sing it again. Like I remember, I remember Michael Wagner, you know, he's German. Right. So he's, he doesn't know about our, our soft language, you know, our, our euphemism, Mm -hmm. you know, he doesn't, he doesn't say, Hey, I think he can get one better. Let's do that again. You know, he, he, the way he says it is don't sing flat. (laughs) <laughs> you know so it's pretty funny you know if you sing off he just says don't sing flat you know right you know it's like just do it again uh, so in other words uh, he is totally against fixing things with the machine he, he's all about you know we play we listen back if it's good it's good you know mm-hmm. and I, I don't know i just love that and i saw joe walsh at couple months back I, I was in um i was in uh where was i seattle at the airport and i saw him you know i was in this clubhouse area uh-huh. he came walking by and i said hi and I, I had a memory of him when rockney was first on the radio he was at klof 
and I was in a, I was fishing, fishing. I was in line to fish in this derby, catfish derby. <laughs> so, <laughs> and and after the song played. He said, that's what I'm talking about. You know, I never forgot that. So <laughs> I see Joe Walsh. I see Joe Walsh, you know, to talk to him was pretty neat. And we have the sobriety thing in common. So we talked a little about that. But we were talking about what, what we're talking about in, you know, the modern modern versus old school. And and he feels the same way, that the human connection is lost today. You know, right. it, it's like, you know, it's okay if it's not perfect. It's okay, you know, I, you know, unless something pokes out that's just horrible. I mean, you know, that's what music is all about, man. Absolutely, yeah. It's the feel and everything. And, and the same thing, you know, seeing all my favorite bands live and stuff. I don't care if the singer hits a bad note here or there or if the drummer sped up where he shouldn't have or whatever because it's that performance, you know. I'm digging what's coming off the stage, warts and all. That's that's how I like it. (laughs) Some of the most legendary performances came from live shows like at Woodstock, like Santana, that version they did of Soul Sacrifice. Right. It's so legendary, and it's not even close to perfect. Um, I'm going home by Alvin Lee, the the Woodstock oh, wow. version. Yes, it's the best version he's ever done in his career. Right, and you know it was flying fast and a lot of random stuff happening. That, man, I, I, that's where I come from. That's my favorite place. Right, and I, I just uh, I'm never going to change, and you know, so that's just where I stand on it. Well, I just hope that another generation ends up caring about this stuff too and keeps it going. I know there's some young bands that definitely are doing that, but I'm just not oh, yeah. sure how many kids really care about all this. Oh, I'll tell you one um, that we played with not long ago called Greta Van Flee. Oh, they're right. Yeah, they, I love their stuff. Know, they go out and, you know, they might be a little out of tune. They don't care and they go out and do a great show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're really old school um, in, in their delivery. It's really I was really thrilled to see that too. Yeah, yeah. When I first heard them, I was all like really happy too. Even though I knew they'd get the you know comparisons to Led Zeppelin, I didn't care. I'm like this. At least this sounds yeah. real, and they're young yeah, guys. Well, you know, you want to hear something funny? The comparisons to Led Zeppelin. That dates back. I remember when Rush first came out. A friend of mine interviewed the singer, mm-hmm. um, but but there were articles that saying Rush was a Zeppelin copy. Right. You know, it's like if if you sang high back in the you know late sixties, early seventies, they just said you were Led Zeppelin right. automatically. It was like the journalist escape was. If you sing in the range of Robert Plant, you are Robert Plant. Right. Right. So, uh, yeah, but he does sound, you know, uh, the tone of his voice, you know, you can definitely compare it to it. But but I meant more in a technical sense. They're not using machines and whatnot. Yeah, right, right. I was really happy happy to see that. You know, they write their own songs. Right. You know, so it's pretty cool. That is. Pretty cool to see you up there. It is. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. 
All right. Well, Mark, we've uh, been at this for a while. I don't want to keep you too long here and burn your ear off, but is there anything that we haven't discussed? Anything I should have asked you that we haven't talked about yet? Um, well, uh, if people want to find out what we're doing and what we're up to, and there's a lot of information on our website, you can go to officialgreatwhite.com. And, you know, we got merchandise on there of the true dates. You know, so there's a lot on there you can to look at. Um, and while you're to find out, what, and they update it all the time, so you can see if you were going to go to a show that got moved, you can see the date that it got moved to. Um, you know, and stuff like that. Have you had a lot of your um, shows already rescheduled? Then they, you've got some locked-in yeah. dates going forward. Yeah, in, in March and April, they moved dates, and I think they just now moved a May date to later in the year, like to September, I believe. And um, one to the end of July, I believe. And so they're just, they're not being canceled, they're just being um, rescheduled. Right. Yeah, I was just, just curious. Until we get past this, you know, yeah. when they open the country up and all that. Right. Yeah, I was just curious that you did already have some rescheduled because my my feeling has kind of been like, you know what, even if we start lifting some of the stay at home and all that, I'm not so sure yeah. when large gatherings will really be able to happen again. Right. You know, I'm not overly optimistic that, oh, you know what, starting in June, yep, concerts are back and we can pack a club or whatever. You know, I, I feel yeah. in my from my viewpoint that it's a little uncertain when that's going to be. So if, if, you know, yeah. if that's the case, you know, I was wondering if everybody that, you know, was affected with, with tour dates getting canceled right now, if they have really even bothered yet to try to pick new dates to replace the dates that were supposed to be there. But it sounds like there yeah. is some confidence then that d- dates are getting rescheduled. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we're just hoping it keeps getting better and, um, you know, uh, we we went through this a lot in the past. I mean, we had all those different epidemics and, you know, um, and this is pretty serious too. I mean, you know, we had the swine flu. I mean, I think 60 million people got that. Right. So, um, but I think this shutdown is kind of a good idea because it, it stops it from, you know, or hinders the spread, you know, for it to get really, really out of hand to where we can't stop it or something. Well, but, yeah. You know, we're getting pieces of good news each day. And I think within a couple months, hopefully it, it just really drops to nothing. I know I went to the local hospital here in Loma Linda Medical Center. I had to get a note from my doctor because I donated blood the other day. Uh-huh. The place didn't even look open for business. I couldn't believe it. There was nobody there. It was like, well, that's good. I thought these hospitals were supposed to be packed with like people, you know, getting tested or something. Right. And the lady outside, she took my temperature before I went in. And I go, where are the people? There was like eight cars in the, this is our biggest hospital. Right. There's like eight cars in the parking lot. I thought, you know, from what I'm looking at on the news, it was like they were telling me that people are in line and, you know, everybody's getting this COVID-19 test. And 
Right. You know, I thought it was like, I was expecting it to take me a long time just to get through there. But um, I was pretty blown away by that. But uh, yeah, just hopefully, you know, people keep listening to, uh, you know, take direction from these experts and do all the right things. And then when we do start getting back into it, you know, just be safe and, you know, wear your mask and your gloves and maybe some people will work from home or I don't know how Right. Ease your way into it, but you know, I think if we follow directions, from what I've heard, most of the fatalities, uh, the people are way up in age or had underlying conditions. Because I'm even questioning if I had it or not. Because in December, I was sick with the flu for like three weeks, um, over three weeks. Right. I could not believe this would not go away. And I had all the symptoms with the fever, the dry cough, you know, all the things you're talking about. Sure. And toward the end, I was getting so frustrated. I, I my doctor uh, got me a Z-pack and I took that and I knocked it out. But man, I've never had the flu last that long. So I, it's possible it's, I had it. Of course it's possible. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I've never been tested, but I, I you know, this was like before we heard all the you know, that this existed. I just thought it was the flu. Right. And, uh, but you know, I'm no spring chicken and, but I mean, I don't have like heart disease or anything underlying, uh, problems. So, right. Thank you. I goodness. did get over it, but, but it's, it was, it's tough. Yeah. Th- if that was it, man, it's no fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay. Well, it was great talking to you. So we've got um, possibly some new great white music toward the end of the year. Maybe, maybe into yeah. early 2021. Maybe. maybe. Yeah. Hopefully. And of course yeah. you guys could always do some, uh, you know, FaceTime songwriting together or something or use zoom or whatever. Maybe you can still be getting a new album put together right now. Let's <laughs> get all the songs worked out. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It, you know, we're, we're just, like I said, we're in the idea stages, you know, we do stuff at sound checks. We, you know, everybody's writing on their own. I've flown up to my keyboard players a couple of times. I record stuff at my, my friend, uh, Tracy G who used to be in DO. He's my buddy. Got a way cool studio set up than I got. So I go over his house and do stuff, but it's all good. We'll, we'll be coming out with something. Got it. That's what keeps our energy up. We keep it keeps us motivated. Keep making new music. Yeah, for sure. All right, everybody. This was Mark Kendall from Great White joining us on Radio Bypass today. Honor to speak with you, Mark, and thanks for taking some time to bring us up to date on what all's going on in the world of Great White. Thank you, Ralph.